Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him, that's talking about Jesus, by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. <laughs> and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. We're going to talk about worship this morning. The final six chapters of the book of Mark take place in the week leading up to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these first nine verses of chapter 14, I think we get a real picture of what it means to truly worship the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about just get by, go through the motions type of worship. I'm not talking about, in many cases, a regular Sunday morning worship service. You know, services as usual. Well, I want to have services as unusual, folks. Services that are different from what the world's churches do. And so I'm not talking about that go through the motions. I'm talking about what some would refer to as extravagant worship. In fact, that's the title of the message, extravagant worship. We all know what, or at least have some sense of what extravagant means. That means you've spent a lot of money on it, right? You go to the furthest place to be able to, to get what you're doing or, or to offer worship to God. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about extravagant worship. As your pastor, I am constantly concerned about the worship of this church, okay? Constantly concerned about our worship. I want our worship to be what it should be and I want our worship to be everything it can be in the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of the world. I don't care what the world says about our worship. You know, as long as God is pleased, I'm not worried about what anybody else says. Because we must be concerned about what God says about our worship. Now listen, I can do absolutely nothing about your personal worship of the Lord. That's between you and God. See, we not only worship corporately, we can worship individually and personally. And so your personal worship of God is between you and the Lord. I can do my very best to make sure my personal worship is what it ought to be and I ought to be serving God and worshiping Him the way I ought to. And as pastor, I can do everything I can to assure that our worship as a church is up to God's standards. Now that raises a question. By the way, I have a very long introduction and hopefully five short points. We'll see how short they are. But that raises a question. Does God have a standard for worship? Does God have a standard for worship? I believe he does. 
And we're going to come back to that question in just a moment, but I want to say a few other things before we get to it. I don't want to dwell in the negative mode this morning, but I'm going to mention this. There's one danger of our worship in these last days, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, where it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I'm afraid there's a lot of powerless worship and powerless preaching and powerless serving of God and a lot of powerless churches and a lot of powerless church members in our world today. We can sit here and we can pretend sitting in this worship service to worship God and actually never worship Him at all. So where, we have to ask the question then, where does worship begin? Where does our worship begin? See, the modern attitude is, and we touched on this in the Sunday school class this morning, Brother Mason mentioned it. The world's attitude, the modern attitude is this. If we can create enough excitement, if we can put on a good enough show, if we can create enough emotion, get people stirred up enough on the outside, then you know what's going to happen? They'll start worshiping God on the inside. Well, folks, that's the exact opposite of what the Word of God teaches us. Worship does not begin on the outside. Worship begins on the inside. Someone gave this definition of worship, and I like it. Worship, true worship, is all that I am responding to all that God is. In other words, when I come to worship God, I just pour myself out. I give Him everything. See, I'm going to tell you a little secret. When I go home on Sunday night, I am exhausted. I am worn out. I get in the recliner, that dangerous recliner that I was given. And the reason it's dangerous is if you sit in it for five minutes, you're going to sleep. And I get in that recliner and I'm gone. And I want it that way. Because I don't want to stand up here in this pulpit and give a nice little talk. I want to stand in this pulpit and preach the Word of God. And so I'm tired. And we ought to be. When we come to worship God, we ought to just pour it all out before God. One preacher's simple definition of worship was this, an expression of adoration to God. I like it. It just doesn't go, I don't think, far enough. Another idea of worship is that it is a shortened form of the old English word, worthship. W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P, worthship. And you know what you do in worthship? Your attitudes and your actions demonstrate what you think the one or the object that you're worshiping is worth. Let me ask you this, does our worship qualify as worship and show what we feel and how we feel about God? And I like this one. <clears throat> the Greek word that is translated worship literally means to kiss toward, and it carries this picture. This is beautiful, especially for all of us dog lovers. It carries the picture of a dog licking his master's hand. That's the picture from the Greek word for Worship. Now, considering all of these ideas, considering all of these definitions, I think one thing is obvious, and that is that true biblical worship begins in the heart. And if you're not worshiping God from the heart this morning, you're not really worshiping. If you're only trying to worship with the head or just going through the motions in the flesh, it's not really worship. You know, when I was in seminary, one part of one of the final exams that we had in one class was this. The instructor said, and he said, this is going to be a big part of your grade on this test. He said, we want you to list the biblical requirements for a worship service. 
list the biblical requirements for a worship service. Now, if you ask the average person today, what's required to have a worship service? They say, well, you've got to have a building. You've got to have musical instruments. Uh, they may name a lot of other things that we would have to have. Some might say you need to have a preacher. Some might say you need a choir. Some might say, well, you need just about everything else. And they'd start naming things. But do you know that in reality, none of those things are required to have a worship service? Listen, and I hesitate to mention this, but a church can be a church without a pastor. Right? Now, if a church doesn't have a pastor and they don't have a preacher to come and preach, some of the members may need to get up and share a devotional or something from the Word of God. But you don't have to have any of those things to worship God. Remember, the early churches, where did they meet? They met in the homes of their members. We enjoyed something like that many years ago when we were on a mission trip down in Mexico and we'd go and have a worship service and it might be in somebody's courtyard. It might be, it was at their house. And we got to enjoy some of what the early churches did in meeting in the homes of church members. The sad fact is that men have gone about today to establish their own requirements. And in many cases, worship is about the person and not about God. Amen. So let's go back to the question. Does God have a standard for worship? Does God have a standard for worship? Many today believe they can do what they want to do and call it worship and God has to accept it. I believe that's absolutely wrong. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1 for just a moment. I'm going to see what God said to the nation of Israel. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11. He's talking about their worship, okay? To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my cords? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, that's praying, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. You know what God said to them? You may come and pretend to worship, but I'm not accepting it. I don't want any part of that. What you call worship when it's not coming from the heart. I believe God does have a standard for worship. I believe that standard is found in the Word of God, and I believe it is found in John chapter 4, verse 24. And before we share that verse, go back to verse 22. Remember, this is the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And the first thing he says to this woman is this, ye worship, this is in verse 22, he says, ye worship, ye know not what. Now you remember the worship up in Samaria and all in that area in the northern kingdom after the kingdom of Israel had divided and idol worship had begun. And eventually they were taken away by the Assyrians and then they came back and, and they were worshiping idols and so forth. And Jesus said, ye worship, but you don't know what you're worshiping. Now folks, is that our problem sometimes? Is that our problem? So we come in on a Sunday morning and we're coming, it's church time, that's why. 
We're, we're worshiping church time. Are, are we like the preacher? We're going to come in and be there because the preacher wants us there. Or whatever other reason we may find other than this is the day I'm going to the church house. I'm going to meet with God's people. God is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. The Holy Spirit is going to be there. And we're coming into the very presence of God when we come in here to worship God, folks. And I think the average churchgoer doesn't realize that. And not just that. Think about the character and the nature of the God we have come to worship. All-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, ever-present. We are coming into his presence, the one who loved us enough to send his only begotten son to die on the cross that we might have everlasting life. We come many times to worship God without taking the time to consider the love and the perfection and the holiness and the mercy of the one we've come to worship. Amen. Let me ask you this. Is the singing of these songs of praise only from the head up? Is that worship? Vance Havner said one time, if we actually paid attention to the words that we're singing, some of us might have to be quiet. Amen. We just sang, have thine own way, Lord. Do we really want God to have his way in this service and in our hearts and in our lives today? Amen. Then if, if you sang that, you meant it. Be careful about singing. Years ago when I was doing a radio broadcast for the church I was a member of, that song, Whatever It Takes, I was using it. The Lord was dealing with me about the call to preach. And as I played that song to put on the tape for the radio station, I sang along with it almost as a prayer. Whatever it takes, Lord. Take the dearest things from me, if that's how it must be to draw me closer to thee. A year before that, my dad had climbed a hundred-foot water tower, and I said, Lord, if you'll let him down, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Well, he got down, and I didn't do what God wanted me to do. Shortly after that experience of singing along with that song, he fell off of a 35-foot pole. Be careful how you sing. The, if you sing it as a prayer, you better mean it. You better be able to, do you really want God to have his own way now? I hope you do. Is paying only divided attention to the word of God as it is preached, is that worship? Ooh, it got quiet. Listen. I told the Sunday school class this. If the preacher is a God-called preacher, I mean, God called him to do that, and he is preaching the Word of God, and he is preaching it in truth, and he is being led by the Holy Spirit as he preaches that Word, it is the equivalent of God speaking to our hearts, folks. And I never want to preach without the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the messages I preach. I never want to bring a nice little talk, folks. Doesn't God's Word deserve our full attention? Amen. I believe it does. Jesus said to this woman after he said, you don't know what you're worshiping. He said, we know what we worship. Okay. They knew God. The Jews knew God. And it would do us good to consider what we're doing when we come here and meet in this capacity on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night. And then in verse 23, look at what he said. Jesus said, true, he talked about true worshipers, and he said, that's the kind of worshipers God wants. He doesn't want any of this phony stuff. He doesn't want any of this fake stuff. God says he wants true worshipers 
to worship Him. And then in verse 24, here's the standard. For God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must. And that's a very important word. You know what the word must means right there? It's an obligation. It's a binding. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's God's requirement. That is in spirit and in truth, our spirit's led by the Holy Spirit and in truth, which it always will be if the Holy Spirit is directing it. Now, one word of caution right here. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, try the spirits. Be careful what spirit's leading you. Try the spirits for the many false prophets gone into the world, he said. So be careful. Listen, the Holy Spirit gets blamed for a lot of things he has no part in. Preachers are some of the worst. Well, I feel the Spirit leading me to do this. Did you really preach or did you really, was this just something you wanted to do? You know, when a preacher gets ready to move from a smaller church to a bigger church, it's always the Holy Spirit leading him to go there. I better hush about that, hadn't I? As we look at our text, and I'm going to try to go through it rapidly, what we're going to see is this woman that Mark talks about is named in John chapter 12, the first three verses, and she is Mary the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. And as we examine what she did, we're going to talk about extravagant worship, and you hang on, we're going to go fast, all right? Five points about extravagant worship. Number one, extravagant worship is a personal act of love. Why did Mary do what she did? Take this spike nerd and put it on Jesus. John says she got it on his feet. She washed his feet with it, dried her, his feet with her hair. Mark tells us about it. She put it on his head. Why did Mary do that? Well, Jesus had just brought her brother back from the dead. <laughs> She's grateful. But Mary is also the one who sat at the feet of Jesus. And listen, remember Martha was cumbered about much serving, the scripture says. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, and she understands, she perceives that the time is near that Jesus must go to the cross and lay down his life. And out of her great love for the Lord, she worships him. She performs this act of worship. We need that kind of gratitude and we need that kind of love in our worship and in our service of the Lord today. When asked what the first and great commandment was, what did Jesus say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and not just so these things will be added unto you, Amen. but out of a heart of love for the Lord. So let me ask you, what are you doing to show your love for Jesus today? And somebody says, well, I'm in church today. Wonderful. Wonderful. Faithfulness to these services is good. In fact, they're almost commanded. You know, Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. But you know what Luke 17, verses 7 through 10, Jesus said something about doing just what you're commanded to do. He said, which of you that has a servant is working out in the field, and when he comes in from the field, which of you would say, now you sit down and I'll fix your dinner? You don't do that. He comes in from the field, you tell him fix my dinner, and he does that. And after he does it, do you thank him? He says, I don't think you do. He said, because he's just done what it was his job to do. And he said, when you just do what is required, when you just get by, he said, just say we're unprofitable servants for we've done only that which was required of us to do. 
That's what he said about just meeting the minimum. A lot of times we want to meet the minimum in the Lord's worship, in the Lord's services. No, we ought to go beyond and above the call of duty to reveal our love for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, extravagant worship involves a costly act of sacrifice. Somebody said one time that the only thing that believers today know about sacrifice is how to spell it and where to find it in the dictionary. We don't know a lot about sacrifice today. That Old Testament Jew knew a lot about sacrifice because when he went up to the temple to worship God, he took a lamb with him. When he went back home, he didn't have that lamb. He sacrificed. He gave the best that he had to worship God. I'll tell you how we do today. I heard a story about this farmer. His cow had twin calves and he was elated. And he told his wife, he said, God's blessed us. He's given us these twin calves. He said, you know what? I'm dedicating one of these calves to the Lord. I'm just giving him to God. After a few months, the farmer came in one day and he was real sad. The wife said, what's the matter? He said, honey, I hate to tell you, the Lord's calf died. And for a lot of God's people, Lord's calf dies before their own calf dies. We don't really know a lot about sacrifice today. Worship is not about coming to God to get something from God, folks. Worship is about coming into the presence of God to surrender ourselves and to give ourselves over to God. You realize that Mary gave the very best, the most expensive thing she had in this act of worship of God? The scripture says the ointment was very precious. That means it was extremely expensive. How expensive was it? Well, if you look... And the man that did it was Judas. He said this could have been sold for 300 pence. Now, salaries that day were one pence a day. 300 pence was a year's salary. Based on today's currency, this ointment, this spikener that Mary used to put on the head and the feet of Jesus would be valued at between twenty dollars and $30,000 a year's salary. How many of us would just one Sunday sit down and write out a check for a year's salary and give, I tell you what, you want to make the pastor faint, do that. Just write out a check for the year's salary and give it as offering to the Lord through his church. But that's what Mary did. She took the very best, she took the very finest, she took the most expensive and she gave it to the Lord and she didn't just pour a few drops of spikenard on him, did she? She broke the alabaster box and she poured it all. She gave everything that she had. The proper attitude for worship is found in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. You remember that, David wanted to buy the threshing floor of Aruna to build an altar to the Lord. And Aruna said, well, look, he said, I'll just give you the land. I'll give you the oxen for the sacrifice. I'll give you the yoke of the oxen to burn for the fire for the sacrifice. I'd just give it to the king. You know what David said? You remember? He said, no. In fact, what he said was this, nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Listen to this. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. You know, we had this standing joke, at least we did in seminary, about, you know, a church member has, uh, maybe it's a computer, maybe it's a, in that day it would be more like a recorder or something like that. And the church member, once it's worn out, they give it to the church. And the church uses it till it's even further worn out. And then the church gives it to the missionary. 
And then the missionary uses it until he can't use it anymore and has to throw it away. No. Give the very best, the very first that we have. When we worship, we're giving something to the Lord. Our time, our effort, even of our financial resources. Those are expressions of love. Number three, extravagant worship is often criticized. Look how some of those who were present talked about what Mary did. They had indignation within themselves. This is a waste. Why are you wasting this precious ointment? And in fact, John chapter 12 tells us that it was Judas Iscariot that led the criticism. Now remember what they said. This could have been sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. Judas was not concerned about the poor. Amen. In fact, you know what John tells us? Judas was the church treasurer. But he held the bag, it says. And Judas was dipping into the bag. He was taking some out for himself. And so he's leading in the criticism. Listen, people who love the Lord and will serve him in the way that Mary did are often criticized today. Amen. I dare to say there are people driving by out there right now looking over at our parking lot, seeing all the cars here, saying, what a waste. What a waste of time. What a waste of energy. Why get up early on Sunday morning or give up your Sunday morning to go sing some songs and then listen to a man expound on an out-of-date book? That's the way the world views it. The world thinks that worship is a waste of time, it's a waste of money, it's a waste of energy. But folks, true worship is never, ever, ever a waste. Our service may often be misunderstood or not understood at all by people who are not saved or people who are not dedicated to Christ. And they may criticize us and they may make fun of us and they might laugh at us when you give your all to the Lord. Not everybody's going to be happy. But listen, you got to decide, am I going to let the attitude of lost people, or am I going to let the attitude of some child of God who's not dedicated to God, am I going to let that determine my worship of God? No, I'm going to worship God. Some people say, well, I can't go to church tonight because I've got this and this and this to do. People like Mary say, I'll do it later. I'm going to church tonight. I'm going to be there. I want to address the young people for just a moment. Let me have your attention. I don't know whether you're here this morning because your parents made you come. And if they did, amen to the parents. Thank you. Y'all know I had a drug problem when I was growing up. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning and I was drugged to church on Sunday night and I was drugged to church on Wednesday night. Didn't turn out too bad. Not too warped, am I? Young answer that. But thank God for parents that will make you come if they made you come. I hope and I pray to God that you're here because you want to be here. Not just to see your friends. Not just for the activities. You know, our young people do some things. They did last Sunday. And so not just for that. But here to worship God. I pray that that is your desire. That you're here to worship God today. Amen. Extravagant worship is an act of recognition. See, when Mary poured out this perfume, it was more than just an act of worship. She also was anointing his body for the burial that's going to take place in a couple of days. Look at what Jesus said in verse 6. He said, let her alone. Leave her alone. Don't criticize her. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Look at verse 8. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. 
she recognized that Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He would be handed over to the Romans. He would then be crucified and that his body would be buried, that he would rise again and that he would ascend into heaven. And you know what? That just went over the heads of the disciples. They didn't understand it right at first. They didn't understand it when Jesus tried to tell them that and to teach them that. But Mary knew Jesus was going to die. And so she moved in advance. See, our worship is a worship of a living Savior. Aren't you glad it is? I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. He walks with me. He talks with me alone, last narrow way. Our worship is of a living Savior. And every time we worship the Lord here, we're declaring that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, we've got people we put in the White House and we call them president. I wrote on this just the other day. You know, they're actually servants. Amen. Congress and Senate and those folks, they're all servants. They're public servants. They're servants of the public. We call them, somehow we started calling them leaders. And I'm not even going to comment on that. But there's one above them. And that is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. In baptism, we picture his death, burial, and resurrection, and the death, burial, and resurrection of the candidate to walk in newness of life. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that he's coming again to talking about the fruit of the vine to drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We worship a living Savior, but there's significant timing to what Mary did, and it's called opportunity. See, right now, we have the opportunity to assemble together. You all remember about a year ago, and we said, oh, we can't meet. COVID, we can't meet. We're going to live stream everything. And I'd stand there in my home and preach a sermon to a camera, to a phone. And you'd sit in front of your phone or your computer or your laptop or whatever, your iPad. That just wasn't the same, was it? God's given us this opportunity to come together again, to meet together and to worship him together again. Mary did what she did one week before Jesus went to the cross. You got that? One week before he went to the cross. Now, if she had waited, I'm going to make a confession. I'm the world's worst about procrastinating. You know, my motto is never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. Amen. Right? No. Mary took advantage. If she had waited, guess what? She would have been too late. Luke 24 tells us about some women who came to the tomb. Remember, they didn't have time to properly prepare his body for burial. So after the Sabbath day, they came to the tomb to properly prepare his body. And what did they find? Too late. He's risen. He is not in the tomb anymore. Mary didn't wait till it was too late. Our opportunity to worship and to serve God is right now. That's the only time we're guaranteed, folks. Right now. Are you worshiping God? Right now. You may be given tomorrow an opportunity to sin. That's great if you are. But none of us can guarantee anything past right now. Many intend to do this. And maybe young people are bad about this. They say, well, one of these days I'll get serious about serving God. I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to get up. I'm going to be a young person. I'm going to live. You're not really living until you're serving God, by the way. But I'm going to live. One of these days I'll get, I'll get a wife and I'll have children and have a family. Then I'll get serious about serving God. You may not live that long. Jesus may come back. And I think it's entirely possible the way things are in this country today. It may be forbidden by the time you get there. 
you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money and your energy if you're not using them for Christ right now. One day it's going to be too late to witness, too late to serve. Jesus could come back. Never miss the opportunity to worship God because you don't know when your last chance will be. But there's something else here also. This applies to love and appreciation for people. Love for the Lord, but love and appreciation for people as well. Never miss an opportunity to tell someone what they mean to you. I read something, I think it was just this morning, that a man who had visited here a few times, and because he lives away, he, he felt like he needed to join the church where he lives, but he visited here, and he put it on Facebook. And I'm going to copy it. I'm going to share it and put it on my Facebook if you, you want to look at that. But it's a wonderful story, and I don't have time even to tell it. It's, it's a little bit lengthy. But the effect of just telling someone what they mean to you, what some characteristic about them that gives you joy or something like that. Never fail to tell somebody you care about them. Young people, I know, I, I know, how, I know how you are because I was there once too. But never fail to tell your parents you love them and you appreciate them. I told you in 1977 my dad fell off a pole. That was the year we went to Israel the first time. We're getting ready to leave. I mean, I'm a young man and I'm too macho to hug my daddy, right? Hug my mom. Said bye to dad. We were in Jerusalem. It was a Sunday morning. We're getting ready to go down the Palm Sunday walk, not with the crowds or everything, but just go down a little ways and have a service. And the pastor called. And I told Joni, I said, oh, she told me who it was calling. He oh, said, he wants to come down and talk to you. And I said, oh, he's going he's gonna to ask me to pray in front of all these preachers. I don't really want to do that, you know. No, he came to the room and he said, your dad's had an accident. Didn't let on how bad it was at the time, but just told me he'd had an accident. When I got back to the States, I know how close he came to losing his life. Do you know from that day forward, I never failed to tell my dad I loved him and to hug his neck. Young people, you don't know. You may not have your parents next week. You better tell them you love them and hug their necks today. Amen. Show people you appreciate them. One last thought. Extravagant worship has an abiding effect. John 3 says, when Mary poured out this perfume, the fragrance filled the house. The fragrance of this spikenard. It was a very aromatic perfume that she used. And it just filled the house. And then John says she wiped his feet with the hairs of her head as she washed his feet. But see, no doubt when Mary poured this perfume out on Jesus, some of that scent came back on her. In other words, what she poured out on Jesus came back to her as a blessing. For the next day, at least, everywhere Mary went, I'm sure somebody said, hmm, what's that smell? You smell good. What's that you have on you? See, even today, you can usually tell when somebody has poured out their life to the Lord. It's just obvious. There is a certain spiritual fragrance about somebody who has poured out their life to the Lord. There's a beautiful perfume that accompanies their life. Oh, I can think of several individuals that I could name. I won't, but I'll think of several I could name right now. Just their lives are beautiful and they're thrilling to be around. 
It's my prayer as your pastor that when we leave here this morning, we're going to carry a beautiful fragrance out of here with us. And it's going to be the fragrance of worship and commitment to the Lord. And we're going to carry it out into the world. Above every door as you leave this building, what is the sign? Has anybody noticed the sign here lately? It says you're now entering the mission field. We carry that fragrance out into the world. And so I'm going to ask you if you're carrying the fragrance of worship today. See, verse 9, as we close this message, verse 9 tells us, that Jesus said Mary did something that would last, and it has for 2,000 years. I believe it's going to last on into eternity. You realize that today we are over 6,000 miles and over 2,000 years from the time that Mary did what she did. But guess what? We're still talking about it. We're still preaching about it. We're still saying this is the way to worship God. Do you want a life that lasts? Do you want a life that's worth something that lasts? Here's what you do. You get at the feet of Jesus. Learn from him. And then worship him with everything you have. Give him all you have. If you walked up to somebody in that day of the Roman Empire and you had said something like this to them, I'm doing a survey. I want to know which do you think will be remembered longer, Mary or Nero? What do you think somebody would have said? Why, surely Nero. He's Caesar, head of the Roman Empire. But you know what? Today we call our daughters Mary and we call our dogs Nero. Thank God that he gives us in his word an example of extravagant worship of just pouring ourselves out completely in worship of God. Folks, that's what I always want to do from this pulpit. I hope we always want to do it from the pew and our singing. Don't hold back. You know, Brother Rick, every once in a while we'll uh, quit singing. And then if, if y'all not singing loud, all he has to hear is me. You'll need to sing loud. Give it all you've got. Give it all you've got in service to God. That's the way to truly worship Him.